Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait. There's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started. Hello and welcome to Signal, the podcast from Christians in Media. Welcome back. This is your wonderful February, slightly sunny but a little bit chilly episode. And we are back in the studio and I have the wonderful Mr. Sam Hales in the studio with me. Hello. Hello. Nice to have you. And uh, the lady Ruth Jackson is also here as well. Hi. Hello. I'm not wonderful though, apparently. You are, you are a lady though. The, oh, okay. the lady. I'll that. that was like I'll an official that. The sure. Lady title. Okay. Cool. Great. Excellent. Coming up on this month's show, we've got some interesting stuff to chat about in the news. We're going to be talking about sharing your Bible passages in public and whether or not that is something you should be doing more of, less of. We're going to talk about the announcement of the BBC and ITV looking to create a new digital partnership in content. We're going to be talking later on about praying in public and praying in the workplace. Is it something that you do and is it something that you should be still doing? And later on we've got recommendations for you as well all coming up. Also we're giving you the latest news about what we've got coming up in the calendar from Christians in Media and all of that still to come. So stay with us. You're listening to Six from Christians in the Media. So, we are back. How are you both doing? I'm Sam, you're surviving. feeling a bit ropey. I'm surviving. Oh, I'll be okay. Me. Thank you for checking in. Okay. Such a trooper, Sam. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're you're both here. Thank you for uh, your your wonderful presence, and we're glad that you guys are back with us as well. Uh, we are back in our usual format. The three of us in the studio, finally together. It seems like we've been. It's been ages since we've done this. Yeah. Too long, but I'm I'm feeling very pleased to see you, even if Sam's looking a bit peaky. It's always a pleasure to see you, James. Lovely. Well, thank you for that. Oh, um, there's a lot of love in here. Not so much you, Ruth, but you know. Yeah. We, you have to see her most days of the week so that's fine yeah, the, the, uh, the the novelty effect has worn off I'm still <laughs> always impressed thank you <laughs> thank you guys for listening and uh, we're coming back along to listen to us and natter on about things that are happening in the world of faith and media uh, from this month's episode we like I said are going to start off by looking at the news and uh, literally today as we're recording 27th of February the BBC and ITV have announced that they are going to launch a Netflix or Amazon Prime type rival service that is going to bring the biggest of the crime dramas from the two uh, stations together also looking like there will be other organisations joining in the latter stage the BBC Director General Tony Hall said that the aim was to launch something that they're codenaming Britbox in the UK in the second half of 2019 so it's in the latter stages um, and they are concluding the final phase of talks to create something that will actually rival Netflix uh, the price um 
was not announced, but Lord Hall said it would be competitive, and uh, there have been several reports in the news that the service will cost around about £5 a month and include uh, everything from crime jargons like Luther and Line of Duty, as well as also things like Love Island from ITV. So that is uh, the, the kind of big news announcement that's happening in the media today. And um, What do we guys think about it? Would you be willing to pay a fiver for the, the big BBC back catalogue? I think it might depend what's on it. Well, BBC stuff is my assumption. I know, but how much of it? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. I think there's a lot of opportunities. They're going to have a job, I think, distinguishing it from iPlayer. Yeah, okay. Um, there's so much available on iPlayer already. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't exactly get home in the evening and think, oh, I just have so much time on my hands. You know, I, I wish there was yet another thing I could subscribe to to fill my time with, with more TV because I've got so much time on my hands. Let's watch more TV. I guess I think- it's probably more if you're watching a series or something and you think, oh, I'd love to go back and watch like the first five series to give this series context or whatever. Or, yeah. or I haven't got into that at all. If I could watch the first five series, which is what you can do on the other streaming services, I suppose that's the point of it. Isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say like programs like Silent Witness, for example. Everyone says is really good. I've never watched any of it because I never watched the first couple. I, kind of it passes me by, right? So if I could go back and watch all of those, the thing that I'm more interested in is going back and watching all the like nostalgia TV stuff. The things that like I probably remember watching with my parents as a kid. But like if it was there, you know, back catalogues, I would actually probably go and the binge Chronicles of Narnia. We're talking about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Not dun, talking, dun, dun, that dun. wasn't necessarily where I was going. <laughs> but uh, good to see um, what Ruth I think has. five pounds is a very attractive price as well. But depending yeah. on what it is, though. Well, it's just old BBC and ITV content, as far as I can tell. It's not the new stuff, because the new stuff's already available on iPlayer and the ITV player. And it's going to stay there, apparently, as well. The thing that I'd be quite interested in as well is how it's going to work out if you're a family user as well. So most people, you know, if you pay the licence fee per household, right, regardless of whether there's one person in it or five. Um, Netflix and these other things have all got multi-user prices. You know, are they going to do something like that? Are we going to be paying, like, a fiver for me to access all this stuff, but if I want my kids to be able to watch it on, the, on their iPad at the same time, that we're watching something in the living room we're going to have to pay twice those types of things I think are going to have I, I to be worked the, through the exciting thing for me is is kind of the clues in the name Britbox and they they want to put something out there that it is British you think so much of what we consume on Netflix especially and even Amazon Prime and some of the others a lot of that is American content and um, I think it's great to be able to say actually there's some fantastic British programs out there that need um, need watching as well and to have its own uh, program I guess that you can subscribe to to see British TV I think that's a good thing I wonder whether it's going to have an implication on the licence fee because obviously it's not the current stuff but there might be some people who are thinking actually I don't ever watch TV live because who watches TV live now anyway um, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's like the people Brits people were very upset when Songs of Praise was moved to lunchtime rather than that's uh, true if you saw that Isn't story the other day. yeah people were very upset and and the argument of course you know, the one you're making Ruth is but did anyone actually watch TV live these days and a lot of people watch Songs of Praise they do okay but I guess if, if you're one of those people who doesn't really watch TV live and you don't necessarily want to watch the modern stuff actually if you've got this BritBox and you've got other streaming services you may well not need to pay the licence fee anymore and is that going to be to the detriment of the Beeb potentially well there you go I mean this is potentially um, built off of some organisational stuff that you may not know about so in the US there's already a service called BritBox uh, it's a streaming service in North America Lord Hall has said that it's performing very well it has 500,000 subscribers in the US which is nothing compared to the multi-million users that the, the likes of Netflix have but um, there was a comment this morning from Dame Carolyn McCall um, she was speaking uh, she's uh, the ITV uh, chief executive um, was speaking to the Today programme and saying that this is all about bringing together the best of British creativity and the research with the British public shows that there is a real appetite for a new streaming service um, in addition to their existing content. 
and that 43% of all homes which use the internet are interested in a subscription to something like BritBox which is going to bring them kind of that that British content as Sam says and I think that many people probably will want to have access to that archive if you can go get all of the episodes of Absolutely Fabulous or you know some niche programs like The Thin Blue Line do you guys ever watch that? Rowan Atkinson really great classic Rowan Atkinson kind of program those types of things I've got copies of those that are sitting around on DVDs somewhere in a drawer at the moment that are gradually going to you know kind of degrade I don't even have a DVD player that I can hook up anywhere anymore I think so being able to access some of that stuff again probably is interesting and to your point about things like songs of praise and stuff like that that you know you can go back through a long rich history of different you know worship traditions and content that's there I think I would definitely want to be able to access some of that stuff so we shall see how it goes uh, with this there is lots of um, you know news coming out today just about this so I'm sure we're going to be watching this one pretty closely in the coming weeks and particularly whether or not this is going to stand up to some of the regulation um, and whether or not it's going to kind of allow people to you know be competitive essentially against the really big american streaming services speaking of big american services uh we've had the the guys behind the new version bible app on the show a couple of times we know them very well uh bobby greenwald and terry storch and the team there at life church in the u.s and they've come under maybe a little bit of flack this week uh from something that is uh got picked up actually in the article i think originally started over here with the in premiere towers where we're recording from um but was picked up this week by the telegraph around people sharing bible passages on social media particularly from apps like the bible lens and from the U version app but not just that people also taking pictures of inspirational calendars and things like pinterest uh, being a place where lots of people are creating this inspirational verse of the day quote of the day type content earlier in the um, week this article came out and it was actually uh, featuring another uh, friend of ours from um, Dr. Pete Phillips as well who's been uh, looking at this from who's the director of Codec uh, Research Centre and Theology and he was saying that you know before John 3.16 was a poster boy text of the 20th century um, the latest star is Jeremiah 29.11 now do either of you if, or, can you recite for me what know that is? the plans I have for you <laughs> says the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to do you good give you, give you a future and give a hope and hope. Excellent. Well done. Thank you, Ruth, for very, coming to my aid at the. Very, uh, very good biblical knowledge. Well, apparently, according to Pete, uh, doc, Dr. Pete, of course, I will refer to you with your proper title, sir, Reverend Dr. Pete Phillips, <laughs> um, that he, uh, we're, we're great for keeping up people's official titles on this show. I don't <laughs> want to ruin that tradition. Um, but Pete Phillips was uh, talking about this as being that actually that, that passage that um, that Sam just beautifully recited for us with, with Ruth's help, Jeremiah 29 11, <laughs> has kind of become the 21st century, you know, kind of poster child verse to be shared around it does very very well um and he was making this point that in print culture john 316 which was the most kind of um popular bible verse ever has kind of been knocked off of its edge how do you guys feel about it? do you regularly share kind of bible verses and stuff like that on social media no. is that the kind no. of content you do no 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 oh dear i feel that the the misery part of sam's day <laughs> has risen again sam why would you I not love why do you not bible. share this stuff i do my best to read the bible every day the bible is incredibly important to me as a christian um i guess i haven't felt the need to share the bible on social media but as I say that I'm starting to question myself why is that um, is that not part of my life should I not be doing it more I think what has put me off in the past is exactly what you're talking about James which is the kind of lovely pretty sunset and then a verse that kind of makes you feel good yeah. and that verse is often ripped out of all of its context Jeremiah 29 as Ruth I'm sure is about to explain being the theologian in the room you know it has a context in fact why don't you just tell us yeah, it's, what, it's, what was the context well, Jeremiah the, 29 I don't know what the context it's was it's in the exile so the Israelites are put in exile so they're in this really difficult place where they're 
sort of split metaphorically between Jerusalem and Babylon and they've been told to settle in Babylon and to um, and to pray for the land and to want the land to prosper and so it's kind of a, it's a message of hope within real um, disarray so actually I think we often use it as a real lovey-dovey like oh everything's going to be perfect and actually what we we mainly take it out of context because this was in the context of like incredible hopelessness yeah. and it's more of a look God's got you um, but yeah we do rip that out of context yeah. I, I think the thing as well um, I don't really share Bible verses but I think a lot of that is because I, th- I think some, the Bible is power and I believe that with all my heart I love the Bible but having said that I think it's it's sometimes really unhelpful when we're just like shoving Bible verses out of context in non-Christians faces because I think for a lot of um, particularly sort of within post-modernity now a lot of non-Christians um, for them they wouldn't even begin to engage with the Bible because they don't think it's true and they don't think it's relevant and so there is that sort of pre-apologetic clearing away the mess before you can get to the truth of the gospel I think a lot of the time and so I just think sometimes it's unhelpful um, to be sharing verses when when it doesn't when it's just not helpful yeah well I mean the interesting part about this though and this is something that Pete brings up as well in his he's working on a new book um, which we will talk to him about in the coming episode called The Bible Digital Culture and Social Media it's coming out later this year he says that we find that millennials tend to share therapeutic messages it's far more about their own identity and how faith can help them in the future um, and the result in a sh- is a shift in a public display of the Bible which is quite a fascinating thing is that we're actually seeing more if you think about it more than ever before people publicly sharing the Bible in a physical open space. We're going to come to talk about prayer in public spaces later on, but this is you know kind of people very openly using their social media feeds to put the Bible in front of other people. It's the kind of the, you know some would say at one end the digital equivalent of Bible bashing and just throwing Bible verses out and helping. But to Sam's point, you know lots of these images coming from apps like the Bible app and New Version that I, I use very regularly as well. Do, you know the, the quote um, this article in, in the Telegraph today uh, which if you're looking for it is, uh, is titled <clears throat> Favourite Bible Passages Get Overhaul um, and that's uh, published on the 25th of February Th- there is a, a particularly um, evocative image here of a millennial looking chap staring mm. out into the sunset with the, the verse uh, aforementioned uh, Jeremiah 29:11, and in a nice you know, kind of uh, serif font but then in a, a beautiful script at the bottom a future and a hope being very highly accentuated mm. and it's not not too dissimilar from some of these kind of more manifesting verses or you know kind of positivity and spirituality verses that we see from non-christian texts as well that often get shared on things like pinterest and instagram as well so maybe there's just a like slightly flippancy that's being created by all this stuff maybe we're not taking the bible seriously although having said that I, i do and sam said this so I'm just repeating what he said um, but uh, there is real power in, in the Bible and I think even if we're taking stuff out of context actually th- there is real power and that's that's not to take while I don't really do it for lots of different reasons I think as someone sharing the Bible and someone reading that you don't know what that's going to do and I think God is bigger than all of people's yeah. issues and stuff I have, with it. I have seen research that, that does kind of question how many people are looking at these bible verses who are non-christians mm. you know if if i put if i put out a verse on my social media how many people who don't share my faith are going to actually read it like it engage with it and the, the research i've seen perhaps unsurprisingly would would suggest that it's great for other christians it can encourage other christians in their faith when you share the bible but it doesn't tend to attract so much interest from those who don't and maybe maybe that's to be expected and i i would agree that look at the end of the day 
our job in everything isn't it is just to be faithful and we leave the rest with god and if you feel like it's a good thing and a helpful thing to share bible verses look i as a christian am never going to tell you off for doing that um <laughs> of course that's a wonderful thing to do and i, I don't want to be too critical um but i think it's 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 a really in the, the most interesting thing for me and this is what pete phillips brought out in his article for us and this is what the the daily telegraph are talking about as well is is this distinction between truth propositional truth john three sixteen, jesus died for your sins and therapeutic verses that just kind of make you feel warm and fuzzy and you know both are in the bible both are important both should be shared but what seems to be happening is it's just the therapeutic ones now that seem to be shared on social media and ones which which give propositional truth or those which contain hard messages or you know how many times you've seen people sharing uh, you know jesus quotes about hell on social media for example it's probably not, <laughs> not what get gets many, shared around not gonna get many likes and, and shares this is on kind that of one, twisting <laughs> that happens where we've only got a very small part of the bible being shared on social media and i'm just not sure if that's ideal yeah well there's an interesting quote here from rachel rounds of the bible society talking in this telegraph article she says passages like john 316 concern an eternal perspective and hope beyond death and they're not easy concepts to convey on social media which doesn't really do context or nuance and that's a challenge for politicians scientists and the church alike which i think is a fair thing we've seen lots of these things taken out of context so yeah i'm okay if some of these things get taken out of context and they encourage someone or Mm. they do something that builds them up or maybe inspires them to dig into the bible more but maybe it's just a as Ruth was saying we've got to be prepared to be able to follow that up with the explanation of why that stuff is being shared in the first place right so I think there's definitely more to be done here taking things out of context is uh, what leads me to our third story from our news roundup this month and it is um Well, I suppose funny, I would like to say funny just because it's the, the, the parodies that have come out of this story are very funny. What I'm talking about, and you may not have seen this, but if you have, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, is the story of South African pastor Alf Lukau, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, whose revival of a dead man has prompted all sorts of online mockery. Um, this is a South African pastor who cr- created a resurrection stunt and claims to have raised someone from the dead um, in South Africa. Um, he was doing this... Uh, and whilst being filmed a video from Alleluia Ministries International um, of him reviving a supposedly dead person came out and went viral um, and laying his hands on a a body that was dressed in a white suit and lying in a coffin which is a rather um, interesting image very quickly though this uh, sparked all sorts of other people reviving things (coughs) all over the internet um, and sitting up in people people sitting up in a bath uh, children being re-magically reanimated by their teachers all sorts of things it's kind of making a slight mockery of the idea of um, the resurrection I suppose on the on the, the social media but the Alleluia Church said that they have distanced themselves from the video telling local media it was not a resurrection miracle and the church has declined to comment uh, further but what I find really interesting is as we are obviously we're here in the uh, you know kind of just about to be on the cusp of March as we head into kind of the Lenten season starting you know over the next kind of week or so and into Easter and this concept of the resurrection still you know kind of people claiming to raise people from the dead causes real consternation right creates real excitement uh, how many of these things can we trust should we be trusting resurrection miracles when we see them come out at sam and when you guys come across these stories how do you have yeah. to handle them well i actually saw um in a christian facebook group that i kind of keep an eye on a video being shared just the other day of um you know amazing miracles someone's been uh, risen from from dead and if i'm being completely honest my my immediate reaction was one of cynicism and, and skepticism i didn't even watch the video <laughs> and then of course today we look at the news and it's all come out and it's all over the bbc news about this wasn't a real resurrection 
happen and it's um, as far as I can tell it's the same video same story that I saw the other day going around on social media and I, I guess for me the immediate takeaway was come on Christians can we please be a little bit more careful before sharing content can we please do everything we can to verify that this stuff is real whether it's about our Christian faith whether it's about politics could be anything I, it, it really it kind of really upsets me when I see anyone you know falling for fake news or falling for scams but I think when Christians do I think come on we're supposed to be people of truth and I think there is all of us have a responsibility now as publishers because if you're on social media you're our publisher to to check it out you know to as much as possible check snopes.com or, or check wherever check the kind of um places that can tell you whether something's true or not so um look i believe that god can raise people from the dead today i believe it happens 100 percent um but i think as well we're called to be people who use our brains use reason and check things before believing them and this particular case is a is a sad example of a claimed miracle not being true whatsoever we're going to come in the next couple of weeks into the resurrection kind of story in earnest obviously Easter kind of coming up is going to you know raise this up again <laughs> oh sorry that was a bad pun <laughs> and um, the, you know this is you know every year we see a flurry of media articles um, from all sorts of publications both left and right come in with a uh, was the resurrection real yeah. story you know kind of thing is that something that we think is still getting resonance are people going to actually continue to pay attention to those things you know, I, I don't particularly go and read those articles when they come out because I feel like I've had the evidence explained to me and I believe it you've but, made your mind but, up either way but yeah. for the people that haven't you know how effective is that stuff well here's the thing I think I don't think an average person on the street cares at all about whether Jesus rose from the dead or not because it doesn't affect their okay so there's a guy called Andrew Root who talks about something called an imminent frame which is like the life around you effectively so if if the resurrection of jesus doesn't affect like your immediate life the life of your family whatever you're probably not really going to think about it but suddenly something penetrates your imminent frame so say someone you know is dying or your dad leaves you or suddenly you start questioning these big things and suddenly you are interested in things um like the resurrection it probably wouldn't be straight away foray into the resurrection it might be if there's a god why is he allowed suffering why is my dad left me that then might lead into what sort of god does exist oh is it a god that rose from the dead and suddenly you are interested in those things but i don't think just from a kind of level of nothing people are suddenly interested in the resurrection which is why i think actually we've got a real duty as christians to share our story to to be, you know it's all very well talking about sharing bible verses yes that's important but we also need to be the bible because people aren't just going to be thinking about these things and questioning these things without someone provoking it so i love that verse in um Oh my gosh, I'm an apologist and I can't remember what it is. Is it 2P... Is it Jeremiah 2911? Is it 2P316? 2P316? Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but all of that, yeah. Um, <laughs> always be ready to give a reason yeah. for the hope that you have, always but, but deal with gentleness yeah. and yeah. respect. But um, but I think as well that, that verse assumes that people will ask you questions. Always be ready to give a reason to the hope that like that people ask you and I think that implies that we're living a provocative life and I think actually that's one of the great advantages that we have working in the media is that we can live a provocative life surrounded by non-Christians um, but often we don't because it's much easier not to yeah Timothy 2 uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed or who incorrectly handles the word of truth I think is quite a helpful thing mm. to add to that mm. as well mm. so yeah absolutely paying attention to you know, kind of actually the truth that we you know, profess you know, that's the 
the thing that we're doing. I just want to know that every year we see these stories come back out and people trying to kind of make the case for the resurrection or make the case against the resurrection. Predominantly, mm. it's the latter. Mm. Um, and whether or not that actually does anything to the public's consciousness of it or not, I think this this idea of an immediate frame is, is actually a really helpful yeah. one, is that we actually have this come to us through lived personal experience yeah. more than anything else. I also think there's something about... Uh, so I used to work quite a lot with a guy called John Lennox, who is um, an emeritus Oxford maths professor, super smart guy. And he used to go into schools a lot and he would immediately command authority because he's an Oxford maths professor. So the kids will immediately listen to what he's got to say because he's a scientist talking about a miracle actually happening. And so I think it's all very well us mm. talking about it, but there is something to be said for actually someone who is a yeah. real person of authority speaking that, to that. That does still surprise some people. I have had conversations with people before where they're like, wait, you actually believe in miracles? You actually believe in all this stuff? And, and it's sad, I think, really, but there are some people out there who for want of a better term let's call them secular people who just haven't quite got their head around this idea that there are real switched on intelligent people in this world who still believe in the supernatural who still believe in in a god that you know that that is a view i've encountered before and i think for those kinds of people it's very helpful around easter around lent to be putting out videos and articles Mm. from you know intelligent people like tom wright for example you know one of the world's greatest new testament scholars who is absolutely adamant that the the physical resurrection of jesus from the dead was a real historical event and so those sorts of i guess fairly intellectual takes on the resurrection they're definitely going to appeal to to some to some people but i thought ruth's point about you know being a, a living kind of embodiment of what what christ's resurrection has done in us um i think that can be even more powerful for a lot of people well and that is one of the views that we'll probably be returning to over the stories in next month's episode around easter in between now and then what i want to tell you about is a little announcement we are actually on the hire here at christians in media did you know that i didn't okay well we're hiring so Woo-hoo. if you know anybody uh, we're looking for a new social media officer for christians in media mm. this is really about helping <laughs> us engage with social media well it's not just about tweeting pictures of uh, Jeremiah 2911 but what we are asking is for a social media officer to come and work about one day a week for Christians in Media and work with the producing team uh, you'll be get to work along wonderful people like us on the podcast uh, as well as also the events team and other organisers in the uh, broader organisation and we're really looking for someone to help build the social media strategy really engage uh, on content and help get people out if that could be you or you know somebody that it could be closing date for applications is the 31st of March and we will be following up with people in April so please do get in uh, touch you can do that by emailing uh, the Christians in Media team and all the information about that is over on christiansinmedia.co.uk okay coming up after the break we're going to be discussing prayer in parliament and in your workplace as a Christian are you praying regularly in your workplace and what does it mean for you coming up after this introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com website creation is hard But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection, to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With Acast Podcast Ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie. 
and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started. So, this past month, uh, there was an excellent article in a very prestigious magazine, uh, Sam Hales. Uh, the magazine is called Christianity, edited by our one and only Sam Hales, just across the road from me. Uh, an article from... Um, this is such a lovely plug. Please continue. I'll keep, I'll keep going for now, but you're not going to get many more of these. Um, is uh, the, An article here from Gary Streeter, MP. He's the member of Parliament for South West Devon and the Chair of Christians in Parliament. Um, and he was talking particularly about a recent move by a, a section of MPs who are backed by the National Secular Society, who are calling for the daily practice of saying prayers at the beginning of parliamentary business to be abolished. Uh, Sam, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this kind of article and what Gary's perspective was. But um, this is the you know, kind of the the fact that every time the the you know, kind of parliamentary business starts, prayers are said. It's mm. one of the only places outside of Christian schools up and down the country where that's still the case. Yeah. Why is this an issue? Why is it contentious? Yeah, it's it's amazing actually how uh, relatively few numbers of Christians sometimes are even aware this happens. But as you say, every single day in Parliament, right here in London. Uh, our MPs uh, gather and prayers are said. Uh, Christian prayers are said every day. And um, perhaps unsurprisingly, in today's culture and climate, there are um, a you know, number of MPs who think that this is wrong, who think that, well, why should the Christian religion have a privileged place at all? Why should any religion be brought into politics? Shouldn't we keep our politics separate from our religion? And they, I think this is the interesting point, they are, are suggesting that uh, it would be better to have a kind of neutral idea of no prayers at all and I think what Gary Streeter does so well in that piece he points out that actually removing God completely does not give you a neutral perspective Um, so it's an excellent article just arguing obviously Gary is a Christian himself and Gary is arguing for a number of different reasons that uh, prayers should carry on being said in Parliament and of course it should be said you know if you're a um, if you're an MP who, who doesn't want to partake in prayers, then you don't have to. You know, this isn't this isn't no enforcing everyone. No. This is just for those who want to do it. And um, I, I think it's amazing actually. If you, if you go into central lobby, um, and again, not many people know this, but um, you would have seen it obviously on the TV where all the MP or MPs are gathering before going into the chamber. If you go to the middle central lobby and look at the floor, there's this big circle in the kind of tiles, and round the outside, written in Latin. And I, I take this on advice because I don't know Latin myself. Um, <laughs> but Please try. <laughs> it's a quote from the Bible. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. And I think that's amazing. We've got that that quote from the Bible right in the middle of where we make our laws in this country. And thankfully, I haven't heard any MPs campaigning to get that removed just yet. <laughs> um, you know, that, and actually, you can do tours around Parliament. And I encourage you to do it. And the, you know, if you get a good tour, tour guide, I actually had uh, Andy Flanagan show me around. He was great. And he pointed out all the different Christian stuff. So as you go up, you, uh, you see a very early piece of legislature being... Uh, made is the way Andy put it and you look up and it's actually a painting of Moses with the Ten Commandments so you know there's there's kind of Christian heritage and history all over Parliament and, and one of the places that happens is prayers every day and from a Christian point of view obviously I hope that that continues and I hope these MPs don't get their way well that's exactly what I think we're all hoping for if you want to believe in prayer being important Ruth you can have to deal with this from time to time with people talking about prayer in schools and stuff does this come up a lot when you're working on stuff for the magazine yeah yeah it does and I think it's a sort of similar issue in that um 
it's not necessarily enforced on people but if you if you opt to send your child to a Church of England school the understanding is that there will be a certain amount of religious content within that because that's the school that you've opted into or a Catholic school or you know a school of any sort of faith but I, I think it's really interesting because obviously I've, I've worked in Christian organisations and I've worked in secular organisations and uh, ironically not all the organisations I've worked for um, but when I worked at the BBC I actually think I prayed more with my colleagues than I have done in a lot of the Christian organisations hmm. that I've worked for. I was once um, at the agency I used to work for before I worked at Lego, the toy company. Um, we had a, a small Christian union, there was about five or six of us that kind of regularly met every couple of weeks to pray for people and that that had a real tangible part of my faith. Like I couldn't, I felt more connected to God I think during that time doing that um, and with my colleagues that I did that with every single day than when I've kind of been on teams or staff teams within churches or other things like that yeah. where it's like it's almost so commonplace yeah. to pray together that it, yeah. you almost don't think about it as how it bonds you together. Well, I think in the Christian organisation as well, it's kind of taken as read that you're all kind of on the same page and there might almost be, dare I say it, less of a need to sort of come together and to, to pray. Whereas if you're... It's not okay though. Well, yeah, sure. I'm not calling saying... calling it out. I'm no. not saying it is. I'm not saying it is, but it, I think if you're in a non-Christian environment, that it does allow you to, um, to, to introduce prayer as a bit of a kind of novelty and it is something a bit different and yeah. you are a bit more on the edge of things and that's fantastic yeah. and it can be an evangelistic element to it whereas if you're in a Christian organisation I think where everyone's kind of on the same page already there's less of a absolutely we've been, we've been wrestling with this recently I mentioned to you guys before we started recording I've just started doing a new startup business with a co-founder who isn't a Christian and we've had to like work out well what type of culture do we want in the business and I've been very clear it's like yeah I am a Christian I'm going to pray about things that like I, I believe that when this deal comes off that God might have had a hand in it because I've been praying about it and thinking about it I believe that he's ordained some of these things and she doesn't necessarily believe those things but really respects the fact that that's, that's my perspective of it her, her version of it would be like manifesting those things being able to say those things out into the universe which is you know, obviously a fairly spiritualist kind of discipline of, of the similar thing of people just believing of putting out positive vibes or call it karma or whatever it might be but we've had to have this active discussion about like prayer and actually like where it falls into our livelihoods and it, it's brought this question up I think for a lot of listeners you, you guys might be listening and thinking well yeah I'm in a you know you know secular publication I'm maybe the only Christian I know or maybe there's a few of me around praying together like what are your tips for kind of like when you guys do come together in workplace contexts or people, places you've worked before what type of prayer helps the most so I used to run the Christian fellowship at the BBC uh, at television centre and that was honestly beautiful and like some of my best friends came through that be- because we we were so bonded over that so it was every Wednesday lunchtime and for like the first five minutes we'd just catch up and chat about stuff and then one of us would share a devotion or whatever it was and then we would we would leave a good chunk of time to pray for each other and often it was really meaty issues and it was people represented right across the board and you know from high up execs to PAs to again it was the whole remit um, but I also found that a lot of the news guys couldn't necessarily come to that because obviously they were doing news hour and things like that so I also then started a breakfast uh, so we'd meet at half past six in the wow, um, in the staff commitment. in the staff canteen <laughs> uh, twice a week uh, and it was always packed was and we really? would just wow. sit and pray and again like made really amazing friendships through that. How did that kind of thing start? Was it because people knew that you were already Christians, you had a few friends around or could you actively publicize so things like that? So I took over the Christian fellowship you from someone over. else. You took over, that sounds um, right. But yeah. I, found, <laughs> <laughs> I took over, guys, I'm in charge here. Um, but I found that by, uh, we had the BBC intranet, so I, I, that's how I discovered that to start with. Uh, the breakfast, that was just, that just came from um, people not being able to make the Christian fellowship. And so I had a huge um, like email list and there wasn't 
wasn't that many people that came to the Christian fellowship and I was trying to figure out why that was um, but also it just was really beautiful because I think there's something it's a little bit like what I say our magazine is it's that sense of which if you're a youth and a children's worker you can often feel like you are the only person going through this stuff like if your kid is really struggling with mental health issues you think you are the only youth worker who's ever gone through that and that's a really isolating thing and it's often the same if you're a Christian working in the media and I think the thing about the Christian fellowship was even if you didn't come every Wednesday or even if you didn't come at all just to know that like when you got that email mm. all of you are Christians in the media and that's really encouraging yeah. and you know that you, I would always ask for prayer requests and Absolutely. we would always pray for those people I think some of these kind of organisational bodies that you know it's when it's the most powerful in a couple of weeks time we're heading up to Manchester with the Church of England for the second year running we're doing the digital labs event um, that myself and James Dock who runs Kingdom Codes a uh, of, friend of the show um, has done before with the team there and Adrian Harris and the team bringing everyone together again and last year when we did that for the first time one of the most powerful things was actually having you know kind of 60 or 70 technologists in a room who were like oh actually we all work in the same space but we work in all different organisations and we are praying and worshipping together and actually that moment of doing that collectively can be so powerful so if you guys are listening and you're looking for an opportunity to pray with one another there are things that we can do there's a couple of meetup events coming up in the coming weeks if you want to find out more about those go to the website christiansandmedia.co.uk particularly if you're in the Leeds Bradford area we've got something coming up in April for you and if you're in London we've got future meetups coming up down the line but if you're looking for people to pray with why don't you join a couple of the different groups you can do that by um, joining in the conversation around the show use hashtag signal on Twitter follow us over there and you can also join the Christians in Media Facebook group as well which is another place where you might be able to find people to pray with either in small pairs or groups so we'd love it if you were praying for the media yourselves and praying with one another hope that that's an encouragement so we're going to keep discussing these things more topics coming up in future episodes but glad that we're getting you praying coming up after this very short blip we're going to talk a little bit about recommendations and Sam has something <laughs> come on there Sam what have you got for your recommendations? I have something. Oh, my word. <laughs> Ominous. Uh, so basically, to fill everyone in on the details on this one, every recommendation I came up with, I was told that's really old. Granddad Sam. I'm sorry, but that Coldplay <laughs> documentary can't be more than about three months old. I loved it. Hang on but a fine, minute. Whatever, Coldplay, you like, fell it. off the planet about four years ago. No, I'm sorry, Ruth. You're wrong. You're 100% <laughs> wrong. Um, anyway, moving on. My recommendation, in the end, I came up with Safe, which is a drama on Netflix and we were talking earlier in the show about the possibilities of Britbox and I was talking about how you know a lot of the TV we watch on Netflix is American well the nice thing about Safe is it's not American it's British it's British produced British actors it's a British drama and it's really really well done I'm just two episodes away from the finale so I don't know how it ends what's the premise the premise is basically a young girl goes missing on a uh, on a uh, what would you call it a gated in a gated community yep so the police get involved and what's very very clever is the series focuses probably on about four or five different families and there seems to be all these kind of other subplots going on and of course as the show develops you realise actually all these subplots are linked and we're getting towards the mm. end now and I'm thinking well how are they going to tie up all the strands together yeah. just brilliant acting the brilliant lead, scripting yeah, the lead is uh, Michael C. Hall who um, plays the character of Dr. Tom Delaney who's the, the father of the, the girl that goes missing interestingly if that name rings a bell you're like who is that that is Dexter if you ever watched uh, oh. that show uh, playing a very different role and doing a very convincing British accent as well which I might also point out so um, yeah really interesting I hadn't uh, even realised that was him putting on a British yes, accent yes and um, it, play, playing across from Amanda um, Abingdon all of the, the other sergeant. actors are British aren't they yes pretty yeah. much everyone else okay. I think because it's a nearly all British cast but yeah uh, he is not but it's a really uh, really well put together show very tense uh, highly recommend well, that I'm, one I'm glad that that recommendation made it past the vetters thank you James and uh, <laughs> thank you Ruth for allowing me 
to make that recommendation. Found something I'm sorry, listeners. And relevant. I'm sorry, listeners, about the other five that didn't make it you through. You have to try harder this month to watch something actually Sam's new. Sam's going to have to start doing his own like Throwback Thursday podcast of things that you've missed. Everything from a few he's watched. Ago. When are we doing that podcast where we explain technology to Ruth? Yes, please. Coming 2020. Okay, good. <laughs> Ruth, what's your recommendation for this month? Uh, so I was invited by Home for Good, which is an amazing adoption fostering charity, uh, to a screening of Instant Family which is a Mark Wahlberg and a Rose Byrne comedy around um, a family who are uh, fostered initially and then adopted. And uh, it was simultaneously absolutely heartbreaking and side-splittingly hilarious. And uh, I wrote a blog about it. Uh, Two things that you don't necessarily associate instantly with when you say... Adoption. Comedy, adoption and Mark mm. Wahlberg in the same sentence. They don't always <laughs> lend themselves to that. But actually, this is doing really, really well, both at the box office and critically as well. Yeah. Seven and a half stars over on IMDb and doing very well on Rotten Tomatoes as well. So, or tomatoes, depending on where you are. Um, <laughs> always and, tomatoes. And, yeah, so like, I've, I've actually called it... Actually, seems very funny. Yeah, I called it the uh, film of 2019. Yeah, which I think is a bold prediction. I'm, I'm doing um, it. I love the way we have an actual real human being in Ruth in front of us telling us it's a funny film and James has to go check on a digital <laughs> website called Rotten Tomatoes whether it actually is funny or not. Uh, well, th- we're basing this on Ruth's sense of humour and whether that is funny or not. So let's let's temper these things. But it but. is. But I think the thing the thing I love about it, obviously, I work with young people all the time, and I all I write about is young people it's and funny children. You never mention sure. it. Sure. <laughs> uh, so like, it's incredibly relevant for my audience. Um, but having said that, I feel like it's relevant for everyone because forty thousand children and young people go into care every year in the wow. UK. And I was just telling Sam earlier, when you hit six years old in this country, you are no longer eligible for adoption. You are put into long term foster care. It's horrific. So, you know, it's kind of a film about just how heartbreaking this situation is but actually how life changing it can be and uh, there's one line which I can't remember with, I think Mark Warburg says it and he says things that matter are hard and actually that is kind of the theme of the film that yes it's funny and yes it's light hearted but actually it's incredibly difficult to do some of these things but things that matter are hard and um, it really really challenged me to my core to the point where me and my husband looked at each other after the film and we were like I think we need to adopt don't we and I'm not that's wow. not an easy decision to no, make you know I, I do think you're cool to do that but I just think when there are 40,000 children in care we have got to do something about it and as the church we are perfectly set up to do that you might not feel called to adoption but actually you can support a family that's doing that yeah exactly and there's lots of information that's I think coming out because of this film actually which is an interesting one because these types of comedies don't always spark that but there's definitely an appeal for it yeah and the director uh, and producer is he has adopted children himself so part of it is sort of you know it's not entirely um, yeah I think things are really changing Changing though, because Chris Kandaya, who um, heads that charity you mentioned, Home for Good, was telling me just the other day that he's seeing now millennial couples, um, not just millennials, but but a lot of millennial couples are coming and wanting to adopt, not because they can't have kids, mm. but because adoption is a first choice for them, and they don't know whether they're fertile or not. They just believe in adoption. So, I do wonder if we're seeing a bit of a culture shift on this, and I do think the work of Home for Good is pretty inspiring because you know Chris has been banging this drum for years now, and I have seen in that time more and more Christians I know, more and more churches. I know taking this seriously and um, it, it does seem like you know as the months pass more and more Christians I know are adopting kids and I think that's a, a wonderful testament well that's what I love about the fact that it's not just like a niche art house film that only Christians are going to watch this is a Hollywood blockbuster with two massive Hollywood actors 
and it's brilliantly done and so it's properly put adoption and fostering on the map well that's a fantastic recommendation and you should definitely go do it not just the adoption bit but <laughs> go see the movie as well yeah i wrote yeah, I, wrote, inspired. I wrote a blog about it for both you and me didn't i um, yeah you can which, go to, which says a little bit more about some of the important the things premier christianity or the premier youth and children's work magazine websites to read that one i prefer you went to premier christianity but you know they're available on i both. prefer you went to youth and children's work <laughs> i could dim their mics while they stop plugging things <laughs> and we'll see where we go okay well there you go some recommendations for you guys to kick into and that i will just add one last one which is a little book that sam actually handed to me earlier today which oh, i've been it's old through. it's probably really old and it is old and uh, no it's actually i also not that know old. you haven't read it james and because i, I no, saw you pick it I I haven't read it but I have actually read just one of these short articles in here and I'm going to read into it more so I think if you're into this whole topic of faith at work which obviously is a large part of probably why you listen to this show uh, this is a small book compiled by James Slater of Workplace Testimonies of Young Christian Professionals called Faith at Work Um, it's part of I believe Revelation Church London and um, yeah just a really interesting little series so if you are thinking about wanting some testimonies to kind of tick into uh, this is actually a really nice little compilation so I'm going to recommend that Faith at Work uh, compiled by James Slater okay well that brings us uh, to the end of this month's episode and uh, thank you very much guys for your usual level of comedy and insults and um, (laughs) and thank you to all of you for listening Uh, you've been listening to Signal from Christians in the Media if you want to be our social media officer and want to come and work with people like us well I can't quite understand why you might want to but give it a go do it Um, you go apply for that go find out all of the information about that and more of what we've got coming for you in the coming weeks and months over at christiansinmedia.co.uk and we would love it if you joined us on social media as well join the Facebook group and the Twitter handle and you can get more from us every single month we'll be back in March with more discussion around how faith is changing in the media and the people that are making it behind it and we will see you very soon here on Signal from Christians in the Media bye 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 Sam doesn't care (laughs) (laughs) did you even say bye? bye bye hello listener Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With Acast podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Burt to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started.